Wrapping up, we have two weeks now left in the book of Acts, and uh, we are now moving towards, in Acts 28, we see God working miracles. And, um, and I want to take uh, a moment as we're uh, looking at miracles to be honest about how we feel about miracles. There was something that happened in 1650 as we moved towards modernity, that, that era where people started to question for the first time God's involvement in the world. People in, in mass started to seriously question if miracles really happened and God really created and, and how do we know. And now when we look back at these stories, we ask the questions that maybe our teachers taught us to ask when we were in school. Did the snake really bite him? <laughs> well, we have our answer. I don't know who said it, but the answer is yes. The snake did bite him. But was the snake poisonous? And, and was, I mean, I've heard theologians describe the parting of the Red Sea as a drought, a natural phenomena of something that happened, and God really didn't work miraculously. I've heard the resurrection described in Christian circles as someone going into a coma, Jesus going into a coma, and in the cool of that tomb was revived. Why are they doing that? Because there is this apparent conflict between science and the scientific method and faith. And I would argue by the end of the sermon that the conflict isn't really there between the scientific method and faith. But under the in the modern era, there was a lot of pressure put on our interpretation of Scripture, and that ended about 1950. Uh, it started to end with post-modernity coming in and the rejection of that modern view that we can capture all of it and figure it out in our little heads, all that is true, and if we can't figure it out in our heads, then it can't be true, would be the modern perspective. As we look at this passage, God points out the miracles primarily and does not point out the message this time, although that's been the story throughout Acts, the message and the declaration of the gospel. So as he's on Malta, they've just crash-landed on the beach and 276 people have now found their safety on the beaches of this island called Malta. We begin the story in chapter 28 of Acts in verse 1. So if you'd turn there with me. We'll read through the whole passage. Acts 28, verses 1 through 10. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, he said, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, 
But when they had waited for a long time, he saw no misfortune come to him. They changed their minds and said he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to a chief man of the island named Publius. He received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Here ends the reading of God's word. Multiple miracles are chronicled. Do we have any skeptics in the room? I don't want you to raise your hands. But if we're honest, haven't all of us found ourselves looking skeptically at some of the miracles that have happened? And maybe, I mean, is that really the way it happened? What if we went back and we had a screen, like on video, is that exactly how it happened? Did God work a miracle? And if so, why isn't he working the same miracles now when I pray? Am I the only one that's felt that way? Here we have this miraculous story where God is doing something specific in their lives and, and around this story, and God wants to highlight the miracles. So when we pick up in verse 1, after they were brought safely through, after we were brought safely through, from what? Well, if you remember or you were here last week, they had spent days on the Mediterranean Sea in hurricane storms with the ship falling apart, having to dump their cargo. And if you look before that even started, they were warned, don't go put out to sea because it won't turn out good for you. And they didn't listen to God. They listened to their own wisdom. They put out to sea. They were like annihilated by the storm, but all 276 of them were saved because Paul prayed for them and God promised that they would be saved. And it was a miraculous saving. The ship ended up getting caught on the reef and the, the surf tore the ship apart and every one of them was brought safely to shore. This is what God did. And after we were brought safely through, after God worked miraculously, now, how would the scientific method or those who are skeptics maybe look at that story? Man, were you lucky. Man, you just hit the perfect spot for your boat to get caught and then it was able to break apart just so and take its time so that the people who could swim could get off and you know, maybe nine out of ten uh, ships sink in that storm. But yours didn't. Wooden boat out in the middle of hurricane storms on the Mediterranean Sea? You know, what are the odds? Well, sometimes it works out. And the people of faith say, look what God did. He promised he would bring us home safely, and he did. They discover that the island is Malta, that little island that's way off track for where they're going, and the native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. I want you to remember what they've just gone through. They have been on the sea for days. Almost two weeks they've been on the sea and they've been tossed about. And they've, you know, their whole existence has been doing this on the good days. 
and worse on the bad ones. To be honest with you, I've been dealing with dizziness the last three days. That's why this chair is here. I, just a little bit, you imagine what it was like to be rocked back and forth for that amount of time, and now they're standing on solid ground. Do you know how long they went without food? They just ate before they crashed, many of them. How hard it was to move from the boat and, and then land on, I mean, all those movies where you see the guy crawling up on the ground, that's probably what it was like for all 276 of them. They're freezing cold, they're exhausted, they're hungry, and if somebody wanted to take them, this is the time. But fortunately, they landed on Malta, and these people show unusual kindness. The first thing these people need is to get warm. And they kindled a fire right there on the beach and welcomed all of them. They took them in. Some of them were prisoners. They took care of them. They got them warm. They welcomed them because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Well, Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. I was actually doing just that yesterday. I was grabbing some sticks that Jeannie had cut down, and, and I was, that was the one part that I could do. And I brought them to the fire pit, and I was thinking about this passage because I knew I was going to preach it. And I'm like, what's in the branches here? <laughs> Am I going to get bit by a snake? But I can imagine that as you put those branches down on the fire, the snake is fighting for its life. <laughs> what are you doing? And it latches onto Paul's hand, and it just so happens that it's a viper, a poisonous, a terribly poisonous snake. And this viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So here is this picture where why in the world would God bring Paul safely through Jerusalem, safely to Caesarea to be imprisoned there, safely to the island of Crete, then they're in a storm for all those days and he barely makes it on the shore and a viper bites him please can we just have the viper bite me before i get to jerusalem why would god allow this viper to bite paul now what's god doing the cynic would say god had nothing to do it it was a matter of chance vipers exist they bite Get over it. And the author of Scripture continues to talk in terms of God's sovereignty and God's control. The reason this is being highlighted is because Paul has been promised that he is going to testify in Rome. And Paul knows that he's, God's word is true and that he's going to testify in Rome. If you and I are bit by a viper, we may not have a similar promise and we may die from that. But Paul is not going to die today because there is a promise and a purpose of God that's been declared that he will testify in Rome. And Paul knows it. How active is God in our stories? What are the miracles that are happening around us all the time? I put as the, on the notes, well, first of all, I want you to notice the title, God Speaks in Malta. I think that God is speaking through miracles all the time. And I'm going to build that case as we go through the sermon. God sends a snake. Now, I want to be careful with this, the theology here, because God does not do everything in our world. He uses people's good intentions and people's bad intentions. He uses evil and good 
ultimately without touching evil, to accomplish his good ends. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. So that means that there is, God doesn't cease to be in control when someone is doing something that he doesn't like and he doesn't want. God continues to be in control and continues to work his miraculous good plan out. He has not stopped doing that. That did not just happen in the New Testament times. So when I say God sends a snake, did God allow him to be bit? Did God, send the, did God tell the snake, go? Well, there was a different snake, Satan, that was there at the very beginning. And he tempted that first couple, Adam and Eve. And when he tempted Adam and Eve, was God in the temptation? No, he was not. We know from James 1 that God never tempts. But God allowed it and used it to bring his son to the cross. God's good purposes will never be thwarted by plans that are evil. So in that regard, God sends a snake. God is at work in the details of our lives. I, have, I wrote down some uh, definitions. Definition of a miracle is a supernatural interference with the natural order of things. That's C.S. Lewis's definition from the book Miracles. And if I can be so bold, I'm going to amend C.S. Lewis's title, uh, definition by the end of this. A supernatural interference with the natural order of things. So whenever things will go their natural way, and God steps into it supernaturally and does something different, gravity changes, or, and somebody walks on water, our healing, natural healing process that he's built into our created beings that that moment, it's a miracle. It's God saying, I am going to suspend the natural order of things and I am going to do something miraculous. That's one definition of a miracle. A naturalist believes that all things submit to the natural order of this world. A naturalist would say that we are just pawns from dust to dust, and we are submitting to the nature, and that nature actually is king. The natural laws and order of things. And modernity would say we can not only understand the natural order of things, but we can control the natural order of things. In the beginning of modernity, there was no control over electricity. There was no indoor plumbing that I know of. Maybe there was a little bit, but not like we have it. There was no flight. There was no internet. Kids, sorry. There were no cell phones. There were no phones at all. And through the scientific method, they did grow to understand the world that God created, is how I would say it. The scientific method is you ask a question, you perform research, you establish your hypothesis, you test your hypothesis, you make an observation, you analyze the results and draw a conclusion, and you present the findings. At the heart of the scientific method is we won't trust it if we can't explain it. You know what the problem with that is? We can't even explain the beginning of this. God is the one who organized nature. God is the one who miraculously built this whole process by which they're looking at what God designed and then saying God doesn't exist because we understand what God designed. 
through the eyes of faith, you say, you've missed the most important piece of the scientific method. Who started this? And who's going to bring it to a conclusion? And who do we answer to? Why does God work miracles? He works miracles to tell us that he's here. He's sending us a message. He is speaking in Malta. Like every place else. Verses 4 through 6, we see God sends a messenger. The human assessment of a God is that God sent a snake to judge. Look in verse 4. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Their perspective on Malta is, their worldview is that there are gods, that there are beings that they have to answer to, and there is justice that has to be answered to. Actually, the truth of it is, if you remove God completely from the equation, and we are just dirt, you answer to no one for justice except for who's the strongest. The worldview here is that we have a moral code that we are going to answer to, and, and those who are on Malta would agree with us in this, that there is a God that you have to answer to, and they think that Paul is a prisoner who is now answering for his evils, whatever he did that would make him a prisoner. So they're sitting there watching. They pull out the can of Pringles, and they're sitting there on their seats watching and waiting for him to die. I mean, they're very hospitable, nice people, but they're talking in their language, the Phoenician language, possibly. And they're talking, and they're looking at him thinking, he's going to swell up. He's going to drop dead. In verse 5, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Can you picture the confidence in Paul? Why does he have this confidence? Because God's bigger than the snake. Because God's promises will never be thwarted. Not by a storm, not by the leaders in Jerusalem, not by the Roman soldiers, and not by a snake. God is carrying him to Rome to testify about Christ. And Paul knows it. So knowing that, he shakes it off. Now, I, I have to tell you that I, I'm a man of faith and I believe that God is at work, but I would not be shaking it off and just continuing with my day. I would shake it off and I would run to the hospital. Right? And I'm a man of faith who believes in miracles. I'd be praying. I'd be asking for the miracle as I go. I mean, I had a heart attack, and when I had a heart attack, I went to the hospital. My wife dragged me to the hospital because she knew it before I knew it. And we went to the hospital and I had a cardiologist and we were praying. And God worked and we did all we could to live within this world that he created under the rules that he created. Asking, will I have more life, Father? And I describe it as miraculous. And someone else would say, well, you had a good cardiologist. He shakes this thing off with this confidence, knowing that he has just been promised that you will go to Rome. He suffered no harm. Verse 6, they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. 
And when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Clearly, if this guy, you look at the confidence in him and you see how, how he stands there with that loving confidence. I mean, he's over there. He was trying to help people. He was serving people, bringing the sticks to the fire. And as he's serving people, he gets bit and he's undeterred by being bit by this viper, trusting in the promises of God. They see his confidence and they see the result that he doesn't swell up and die. And he says, they say, well, he's a God. Interestingly enough, there was one other time that Paul was called a God. In Acts 14, 8 through 18. And in that story, he and Barnabas run out into the, into the crowd and say, no, 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 may it never be. We are not gods. We serve Christ. They declare the truth. Now, in this case, we don't hear any of that, but you can know that God is trying to focus on the miracle here not on the testimony that came after it. Paul would not have let them continue to believe he was a God. We know because of Acts 14 and because of the whole story of Acts up to this point. Constantly they are pointing the miracles to the miracle worker who is God, who is Jesus Christ and the one that they serve. That's who they're pointing to all the time. God works a miracle so that they will know God, not so that they'll honor Paul. So how are we to think about miracles? And I'm going to thread this through the sermon as we see him shaking off this viper and them changing their perspective about Paul. The first thing I want you to know is that God is the designer and sustainer of nature. The biblical worldview, the Christian worldview, I hope it's your worldview, that there is not a conflict between science and faith. God is the creator of all things we understand scientifically. And God continues to work miracles. There's a passage that talks about Jesus holding all things together in Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, Jesus holds all things together. He was both the creator and the one who sustains what has been created. God is working miracles constantly. We recently brought into the world two new grandchildren. We just dedicated a miracle. And if you've seen a baby born, come on. I know there are some saying, yeah, but this is natural. This is supernatural. Amen. The fact that we have breath, it's your breath in our lungs is what we're saying. Do we believe that? To believe that God is the one who gives us every breath? Are we not walking miracles? But it's much more than that. Look at the character change. There are miracles that are promised to us as believers, that we can grow in the character of Christ and we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. And those are miracles that are promised to us. I know people say, I want to go to a church that's miraculous. Well, there is no such church that isn't miraculous. And God is doing much more than saving people just from snake bites. God is saving us from ourselves and our sin. God is calling us into his service and his ministry. There is an unbelievably beautiful miracle where 
God takes average normal people and uses them in his kingdom to produce more kingdom residents. In, Rome, in Psalms 19, the psalmist looks up at the, star, at the sun and he declares, the heavens are declaring the glory of God and his expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. He looks up and says, look at what God did. And one day, Galileo looked up and he figured out, well, the earth isn't revolving, the sun isn't revolving around the earth, the earth is revolving around the sun. And he came to those who were in the faith and said, look, this is what it is. And the people said, no, it's not true. The church has always said it's the other way. And I would love to be part of that conversation now and say, actually, it's okay to look with our eyes wide open at science because God is the one who created everything that we observe. We don't have to be afraid of talking about dinosaurs or talking, I mean, old earth and young earth. Don't be afraid. God is the one who created. We discover as we understand more the miracle that God is doing and continues to do. And we cannot understand our world if we don't understand our creator. And we cannot understand science and what the purpose of it is if we don't understand the one who wrote the rules of it. And who can break those rules anytime he wants. God sends a snake to Malta to speak. God sends a messenger in Paul to speak. And God's the one who's speaking. Finally, God sends a healer in verses 7 through 10. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us, entertained us hospitably for three days. Now, they are on this island for three months. We see that in verse 11. And there are 276 that have been welcomed. I don't think all 276 got the hospitality of Publius, but I think Paul's stature on the ship and on this island have gone up, and he is included with those who are invited into the most honorable place to have dinner. In verse 8, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Now, more than likely, Publius is not a young man being one of the main leaders on Malta. And his father is probably quite a bit older. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Now, dysentery is associated from our understanding now looking back with malaria, typhoid, or typhus, stomach pains, intestinal bleeding, and there were some that wrote in that time that if you were there and you had severe symptoms, it was unlikely that you'd live. And this is an older man. So he's very sick. And my apologies to Dr. Norbeck for any way that I botched that whole medical piece. <laughs> And Paul visited him, prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. 
You believe that? You believe God can do that? So Paul is there and he's in this foreign land. He's in a place where he's still a prisoner. He's in a place where he's being honored because God is using him. And he finds out that somebody's sick and he takes initiative. Look at the four things that he does. The four things is he visited. And I would argue we all need to do a bit more of that. Visit people who are hurting. Go see for yourself what's happening. He visited. He prayed. You cannot understate the importance of prayer here. Prayer is not some switch that we throw that maybe God will work miraculously if we say the prayer just right and we get the formula right. Prayer is a declaration to our hearts that we need God and that He still works powerfully. Whatever He decides to do. Whether we live or die. Whether we are overcome an illness or don't overcome an illness. We pray because we're declaring before man and before God that we are your servants and we come to you because you are the one who is sovereign. You are the one who is exalted. You are the one that can make a difference in this story more than anybody else and everybody else. We pray first, then we go to the doctor. On the way to the doctor, okay? But we pray. And by praying, we're declaring, Paul is declaring, I'm not the healer. God is the one who heals. Paul isn't some wonderful man who, who, was, uh, who just had special skills that the rest of us don't have. Paul is someone who was ordained for a purpose in his era where people who didn't know Jesus and God used miraculous signs to declare the generations that he saw that this message is from me. He wasn't honoring Paul. He was advancing the gospel so that more could be saved. Paul prayed. Paul put his hands on him. It was personal. I could ask Dr. Norbeck how many people he's laid hands on in a hospital or held hands with as you pray with them. Touch matters, doesn't it? It's personal. He prayed, he's laid his hands on him, and then healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when they were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. A lot of sick people with diseases came to Paul and Paul prayed for them and God chose to heal them one after the next. Why? Because there were only three months for the message of the gospel to go out and God was going to deliver it with power. Why doesn't he do that in our lives? Well, he just might. Talk to him. You have no idea what God's going to do. But if he chooses not to, it has to do with his purposes, not ours. And if we are to be glorified in death and in suffering, then be glorified in death and suffering. Was not his son glorified in death and suffering? So should we bear up under God's call. At the same time, as your pastor, I pray for your healing. I pray for God to work miraculously and save 
I don't want anybody to suffer. Has God worked miraculously through my prayers? Again and again and again. The miracle sometimes is, I will give you the strength to handle what I've asked you to handle. Our God continues to work miraculously in every moment of our lives. He is integrally involved. The the, the problem that I have with the definition of a miracle, a supernatural interference with the natural order of things. I understand that when we're talking about miracles in the Bible. I get it. We're trying to talk about those big moments when God does something that everyone in the room can say couldn't have happened unless God interceded. But through the eyes of faith, we understand that that's true of all of our lives and the character that he's creating in us I could not be a pastor except for the miracle that God worked in me. I could not be a good father except for the miracle that God worked in me and continues to work. And my prayer is is that we would be a miraculous community that loves with Christ's love, that encourages with Christ's encouragement, that bears the fruit of the Spirit, and that when people see who we are, they give glory to Christ and are drawn to him. Anybody need a miracle? I know the one who has been working miracles from the beginning of time. And he is actively involved in your story as much as he's actively involved in Paul's story and in each of the people that were residents of Malta. It doesn't say here that Paul preached the gospel, but come on, folks. Paul, three months on Malta, working miracles, he's not telling them about Jesus? That's what he does. That's his call. He is an apostle to the Gentiles, and everywhere he goes, he preaches the gospel. Luke wanted us to look at, God wanted us to look at these miracles. In John 20, verse 31, after categorizing Christ's miracles as signs. This is a sign. He gets to the end in chapter 20, verse 31, and says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have eternal life. The miracles that Jesus performed were not to make people comfortable. The miracles that Jesus performed were a sign so that they would place their trust in the miracle worker and be saved for eternity. And when he works miracles among us, he's getting our attention. He's speaking to us so that we can be saved. Now maybe there are some of you today that have prayed for that miracle, and in not getting it, they're doubting that God is powerful and they're doubting that God is good. Dear friends, God is the best Father. Perfect Father. And He is calling you to Himself. He is not trying to put on display. I love in John 6 when the people said, show us another sign. He said, you wicked generation that just want a sign. You just are hungry for more food. 
He just fed the 5,000. He wanted them to come in faith and trust him as their Savior, as his Savior. Paul was on Malta for three months, and God spoke to the native people so that they might be saved. How do I know that's true? Because he didn't say that in a verse that I just read. I know that's true because I know how God, I know the story from the Bible. I know what we've been studying in Acts. This is why God is at work in us, because he loves us and he's saving us. He spoke through miraculous activity, Paul's character and testimony. But here's the thing. This isn't the only time he spoke on Malta. You know that God is constantly speaking throughout the world all the time. That's what Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Scientists especially who are looking at the natural order of things should be able to see the design and the glory of God just in what has been made. You look at how cell works and the incredible design and intricacy and to say it just happened, come on, folks. There is a designer. The order of our world and the solar system and the galaxies and what God's doing, are you telling me that a big firecracker went off and that's how it happened? Go out into a field and blow up a bomb and see what's created. Without a creator, this doesn't happen. And God has been speaking through his creation all along, but more specifically, he is speaking through his word and ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. And what is he saying? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loves our messed up world and he is still speaking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how can it be that, that you would look on our humble station on our broken and messed up world and that you would choose because of who you are to love us, to redeem us, to restore us and to save us. Thank you that you continue to speak through your word, through your people and through miracles and the miracle of life. I ask, Father, that you'd be patient and that you would draw many to yourself. And that you would soften hearts that are cynical today. That they would put their trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.